Wow. That's a powerful thought, that every thought becomes a prayer, isn't it? What a beautiful song, Carrie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. I'm Reverend Debbie McDonald, and I'm the uh, senior minister here at the center. I know most of you. I see a couple new faces today. Welcome, welcome. Please know that if it's your first time here, we especially welcome you. Uh, we do have welcome packages that are at the doors. You come on in inside the doors. You come on in on the glass table, envelope with some uh, stuff in it for you, Science of Mind magazine, a basic beliefs, a CD, and some other things. So pick one up and get to know us a little bit better. Stay afterwards and have some goodies with us. We'd love to get to know you better. Good to see all of you. Came in out of this beautiful, sunny summer day to spend some time with us, and that's wonderful. We're moving along again, as we have been all year long, with our annual theme. We're in line with the home office, and about 200 of our, of our centers are, are following the theme this year, which is 100 Years of Science of Mind, Taking It to the Street. But August is here, so we have a new monthly theme, and it is Spiritual Mind Treatment, The Form. So this month we're going to be talking about uh, Spiritual Mind Treatment. Next month is Spiritual Mind Treatment as well. So that's a lot of talks about Spiritual Mind Treatment, isn't it? So I'm shaking it up a little bit. So we're going to veer off a little bit and do a little bit, uh, some of the different parts of this. You know, um, on... Um, in January, uh, many centers do the, what they call the Back to the Basics, right? Which is the first four little chapters of the introduction of our Science of Mind textbook. And we review that uh, often. And we did it here last year, and I'll do it again this January. And it's the thing itself, the way it works, what it does, and how to use it. You know, but other than that, from the pulpit up here, we really don't dive into the textbook that often. So I'm going to do just that. I'm going to dive into the textbook a little bit. Uh, and we're going to look at section two of the textbook, which is called Spiritual Mind Healing. Spiritual Mind Healing. So we're going to focus on that a little bit more than just spiritual mind treatments. We're going to expand it a little bit. And uh, Spiritual Mind Healing Ideation is section two titled, A Recognition of the Power and the Thought and the Purpose Back of Mind Healing. So every thought is a prayer. Every thought is a prayer. It certainly is. The sections within that uh, section are the power of thought, prayer and faith, and mental and spiritual treatment. So I'll touch a little bit on those as we go through today's talk. So I start off with the power of thought. The power of thought. How do we know that our thought has power? Do we? Do we believe that our thought has power? right? In the past, the only way that we would know that was through demonstration, right? We would have a demonstration or we would see the result of a thought that we had manifest itself in the world and therefore that would be our proof, right? We'd have these demonstrations. You know, we'd have a, a physical healing or a financial reversal, a load of money just drops in our lap, right, or, or we're healed from some sort of a, a, a disease that we have, you know, and those would be our, our proofs, you know, and I've had, I see it in my life in very, in small ways. I have not had, uh, I have not had the experience of being diagnosed with a terminal disease, so, I, and I haven't had, but I have lots of friends who have and have walked through it, minister friends, practitioner friends, congregant friends who have healed themselves. 
by using these principles. You know, I see it show up in my life in a lot of small ways. You know, when I change my thinking, what I am experiencing changes. You know, so I see it in that way. You know, we're in a Roots class. We're reading um, Emma Curtis Hopkins right now. We've done uh, Emerson, Troward, and now we're reading Emma Curtis Hopkins. And those are thir three of the New Thought teachers, early New Thought teachers that really influenced Ernest Holmes. So that's why we go into depth in them in the Roots class. And so right now we're reading Emma. And Charles Fillmore says this about Emma. Emma Curtis Hopkins. She was called the teacher of teachers. Uh, because she taught many of our New Thought uh, uh, teachers, including uh, Ernest Holmes and Charles and Myr Myrtle Fillmore. She taught them. And Charles Fillmore says, she is undoubtedly the most successful teacher in the world. Her instruction not only gives understanding to the student by which he can cure the ills of himself and others, but in many instances, those who enter her classes, confirmed invalids, come out at the end of the course perfectly well. She dwells so continually in the spirit that her very presence heals. And those who listen to her are filled with new life. So in the early 1900s, there was people like Emma who were healing people. We were seeing it all the time. Right? We don't talk about it so much. When Dr. Christian Sorensen was here on Wednesday night, he talked about a healing that happened for him when his a youth minister fell down the stairs and he did a prayer and her arm was broken. But when he did the, the, the first x-ray showed a um, fracture, a, what do you call it, a hairline fracture. But when she went back, it was completely healed. Right? And one of our uh, practitioners, Connie Zingenbaum, she said afterwards, she said, you know, we used to talk a lot more about these healings. We don't talk about them as much anymore. You know, so they're still happening. We're just not talking about them. And why? You know, why are we not talking about them? Right? We keep saying we're going to have testimonials here. People coming up and saying, this happened in my life. This happened. You all are telling me every Sunday, somebody's coming up to me and saying, Reverend Debbie, you won't believe what happened. You know, and I would believe it. I do believe it, right? Miracles are happening. Myrtle Fillmore, uh, she was afflicted with tuberculosis at a very young age. And she was told that it was incurable and that she would be sick her whole life. And she went to see a gentleman, Dr. E.B. Weeks, in 1886, where she learned about this idea of mental healing. And she started to practice it. She used the affirmation, I am a child of God, and therefore I do not inherit sickness. Over time, she was healed from the tuberculosis, and so she went on to live to like 86, 87 years old. You know, when her and her husband started the Unity Movement, which is still active today. The Unity's uh, prayer, silent unity prayer line is probably one of the most used prayer lines in the world. You know, Dr. Ken Gordon, when he did the video for this week, which I'll put on our Facebook page, you know, he said that our affirmative prayer, the affirmative prayer that we use here at Science of Mind and Centers for Spiritual Living is revered around the world as a prayer that produces results. We call it affirmative prayer, you know, and I'll go into a little bit more about that next week, you know, but who is demonstrating today? That's my question. Who is demonstrating today? Who is demonstrating these amazing results? Because there are people out there that are doing it, 
You know, our larger centers have obviously more people that are experiencing results. The more people you have, the more people you have that are experiencing the results. You know, I'm going to tell you a story of Dr. Wayne Dyer. Dr. Wayne Dyer had a healing experience. He had many, if you've read any of Dr. Wayne Dyer's books. But he had an experience where he was diagnosed with leukemia. In 2001, he'd had it for two years, so he was diagnosed in 2009, right? And he was doing everything that he thought he should do. He had two oncologists that he was seeing. He was, uh, had a very um, strict eating regimen that he followed. He um, was doing all sorts of meditation. He was um, saying, even in his workshops and seminars, he was telling people that he had leukemia because he felt he was a teacher and he was going to demonstrate how he walked through this experience called leukemia, right? So that's what he was doing. And, and uh, his doctors had told him to quit doing the Bikram yoga that he loved, the hot yoga. For some reason, several doctors had said that wasn't good for him with the blood uh, disease that he was experiencing. So he had quit doing that. And... Uh, one day he got a phone call from a friend of his, a, a, an optometrist a friend of his, called and said she was going to do the, go to this place where she had heard of this great healer. And she felt really strongly that Wayne should go with her. Well, he was up against deadlines for his books and he couldn't go. But she arranged for him to have this healing work done across the continents, right? So they sent Wayne the information and what he needed to do. In a certain time, he was told his healing was going to take place, and he was told to get into bed. So he took the herbs, and he did the things that they had sent to him, and he got into bed that night. And he woke up in the morning, having been told that this healing thing had taken place for him in Brazil, and he was in Hawaii. And he woke up, and he didn't really feel any different. You know, his friend had called that morning to check on him, and she said, you need to stay in bed for 24 hours, as if you had gallbladder surgery. You need to stay in bed. You need to rest. Well, he didn't believe it. He didn't feel any change. So he got up to go on his, he goes on a 90-minute walk every morning, or he did before he made his transition. And um, without, within 500 feet, he collapsed. He had to get his children to come and get him and put him back into bed. And there he stayed for a week. He says with flu-like symptoms, he could barely eat a little bit of soup. He felt weak and tired and uh, exhausted. Well, after that week had passed, he got another phone call saying, okay, tonight we're going to take the sutures out. So again, you need to be in bed and you need to follow the protocol. And he said, well, there's no sutures. There was no real surgery. Nothing was happening here. But he did it. He went to bed and he followed along. His friend was determined that this was a thing. She said she was possessed with having him do this healing work. So what happened is he woke up in the morning, and the first thing he noticed is that his new watch he had just bought had stopped working, and it was one of those watches that was never supposed to stop working. You know those watches? Supposed to last longer than you do. And uh, he had an overwhelming feeling of love. He had energy. He got up out of bed, and he went out of his bedroom, and he saw his two children. And immediately, he was overcome with love for them. He gave them hugs and told them how much they loved him. And they looked at him and said, Dad, are you on drugs? Like, what is going on? Like, you're acting weird, right? But he said he felt so much love. He felt this overwhelming love. He felt the plants were love. He felt that the ocean was love and it was calling to him. Everywhere he went, he just saw with these new eyes this amazing love.
And this lasted, and this lasted, you know, and, and about a week later was his 71st birthday, and he was in San Francisco filming, uh, finishing up a film he was doing. And he was sitting in the hotel room on the day of his birthday, and he had this idea that he needed to go out and be loved in the world. So he took, and he was fortunate enough to have a wad of $50 bills, and he went out into San Francisco, and he went among the homeless people, and he passed out the money, and he gave hugs, and he listened, and he said he talked to men with no teeth, and he talked to women that were digging through trash cans, and he listened to their story, and again, he just felt this outpouring of love. This outpouring of love, when he had given away all the money, he went back to his hotel room, and he sat and he sobbed. He said it was the most amazing birthday he'd ever had. I want to read you what he wrote, because he writes it so beautifully. I am in a state of ecstasy every day now. An annoying piece of litigation disappears, and all I feel for this seeming adversary is love. I walk and swim with renewed energy. I no longer say I have leukemia, which I had routinely did during the earlier days of my diagnosis. Instead, I begin each day with the statement, I am well. In fact, I am in perfect health. I can see clearly now that my experience was a shifting to a more God-realized place in my life. The familiar message from the New Testament is, with God, all things are possible. That leaves nothing out, including healing an incurable disease. The Sufis tell us that when we walk in the garden and step on a thorn, we must always remember to say thank you. For the thorn of leukemia that brought me closer to my own I am presence and to the one divine all-knowing mind of God, I offer a heartfelt thank you, thank you, thank you. So the gentleman that Wayne Dyer had gone to via this the long distance was John of God. And I'm sure some of you have heard of John of God. He's in Brazil. Uh, he's a gentleman who's been doing healing work for about 50 years. He's been on Oprah. They've done, you know, ABC. He's done you know, shows on him and so on and so forth. You know, and some people think he's a complete charlatan. And some people think he's an amazing healer. And he's healed many, many people, including Wayne Dyer, right? But whether we believe in John of God or we don't, that's, that's up to you. I'm not trying to tell you that there's this person out there who does this healing, although he has been equated to uh, doing the healings that Jesus did. Doing the healings that Jesus did. And, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Roger Till from Mile High Center for Spiritual Living, he takes groups of people to John of God. He's a big believer in that. But again, it's completely up to you what it is you want to believe. But what I'm wanting you to know is that there are people who are demonstrating today at a very high level that this idea of mental healing is still alive and well in our world. And it, it's not just the, you know, those that go in the, in the, you know, I can walk and I can walk, because there are out people out there that are doing crazy stuff. You know, one of the things that John of God says, he says, I could fool people for two or three years maybe, but for 50 years, right, for 50 years, that's a long time to fool people. Um, let's see.
Ernest Holmes says, it is not the form of treatment which you give or the prayer which you make that gives it power. Rather, it is your faith, right? It is done unto us as we believe. Uh, the basis for mental healing, the first principle fundamental to the understanding of the operation of thought is that we are surrounded by infinite intelligence. The possibility of healing physical disease, changing environments, attracting friends, and demonstrating supply through the power of right thinking rests entirely on the theory that we are surrounded by infinite mind, which reacts to our thoughts according to law. That's Ernest Holmes. That's out of our Science of Mind textbook. So let me read that last sentence again. Rest entirely on the theory that we are surrounded by an infinite mind which reacts to our thoughts according to the law. So first of all, do we believe that we are immersed in infinite intelligence, right? Do we believe that? You know, do we believe that there's an intelligent, creative energy in through and as us, around us? You know, it's, it's not important that you believe it, but if you want to practice these principles, it's important that you believe it, right? You must believe that there is a power and a presence. There is a power and a presence that is creative, that is in your life, that every thought is a prayer. It truly is, right? Just look around. Who is creating the trees? Who's making them grow? What's making it grow? Is there a creative intelligence inside the very essence of that tree? Right? What's making the flowers grow? What's making the crops grow that we see here in our community? The crops are, 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 are harvested and planted again and harvested again and planted again. Who's making that happen? Who's breathing us? Who's breathing us? What's breathing us? There is an intelligence. There is an intelligence in this universe that is operating and another story of Grayson Kirby was his name. He was a young man who was thrown from a demolition derby car in Yuckersville, Virginia in 2014. He was thrown from the car. His lungs were crushed. Almost every bone in his body was broken. His brain was hemorrhaging. His kidney was failing. They did not look good for him right? The doctors felt if he did eat, come to, he would be a vegetable, that he would have no sort of life. Well, his community did not agree with that. His community of over a thousand people decided they were going to pray for him. They all got red shirts. They had matching shirts that they wore in his honor, and they prayed, and they had a prayer vigil that went on and on and on, this large community of people. And the doctors, whether it was divine intervention or medical intervention, decided to hook him up to a machine that they not, would not normally use in this case. And they hooked him up to this machine, and you know what happened? It worked. Ten days later, he mouthed to his father, I love you. Right? Now that community believes in the power of prayer. That community believed in the power of prayer. So... My question to you is, do you believe that you are surrounded by a creative intelligence, right? And by that, we mean God, first cause, spirit, whatever you call it. There's a creative intelligence. And do you believe that you're using it 24-7, consciously or unconsciously? Again, Carrie's song. We are creating every moment with every thought. Whether we're conscious of it or not, we are creating our lives. We are an individual expression of the one mind. You know, as we think, the unformed takes form. 
So as we think, Ernest Holmes uses the example of ice. He says, imagine the universe is water permeated by an infinite intelligence. So imagine the universe is just water and it's just permeated with this divine intelligence in through and as it, right? And with every thought, the water takes form in direct correspondence to the thought. So with every thought, this water takes form. So we would have different sized pieces of ice, we would have different colored pieces of ice, but every thought would create this ice, right? Well, if we were to take all the ice and melt it, it would return back to water. It would change form, but it would still be that divine intelligence. It's the very same with our thoughts. It's the very same with our thoughts. As we think, we create that movement in the divine intelligence that creates the form. The physical universe is spirit in form. So everything that we see, touch, and feel is spirit made manifest, right? This podium, the chairs you're sitting on, right? Everything was a thought first before it became form. Thoughts are things, choose them wisely. I like that, you know. Uh, Mike Dooley's become kind of famous for saying that, but it's been around for a while. Ernest has it in the book. Thoughts are things, choose them wisely. Before we attempt to improve our conditions, before we proceed further on the subject of healing, it is necessary that we be certain in our own minds that thought is creative. As upon this basis, our entire superstructure rests. So first we need to know that there's a divine intelligence that I'm living in and that my thought is creative. Those are two of the uh, premises that we need to believe absolutely if we're going to do a demonstration, if we hope to have a demonstration in our life, right? So do you believe that your thought is creative? You know, do you believe that? Are you creating by default or design? Right, are we going around just, eh, whatever I think? Are you consciously choosing those thoughts that you want to create? There's a classic that was written in 1903, As a Man Thinketh, it's been translated into As a Woman Thinketh as well, if you'd like to read it with your gender in it. 1903, James Allen says this about the book. Its object being to stimulate men and women to the discovery and perception of the truth that they themselves are makers of themselves. By virtue of the thoughts which they choose and encourage, that mind is the master weaver, both of the inner garment of character and the outer garment of circumstance, and that as they may have hitherto woven in ignorance and pain, they may now weave in enlightenment and happiness. Right. All that a man achieves and all that he fails to achieve is the direct result of his own thoughts. His suffering and his happiness are evolved from within. As he thinketh, so he is. As he continues to think, so he remains. Right? As a man thinketh. So we cannot live a choiceless thought, Ernest Holmes tells us. Every day, every moment, every second, there is a choice. If it were not so, we would not be individuals. Dr. Ken Gordon, he says, we don't get what we want, we get what we believe. Right? We don't get what we want, we get what we believe. So if we're surrounded by a divine intelligence, and as we think we activate this intelligence into form, we would be wise to choose our thoughts carefully, would we not? 
and create those things that we want in our life, not the things we don't want in our life. Because the universe is really happy to give you anything, right? We've talked about that. The law is neutral. It's happy to give you whatever it is that you put into it. You know? So this week, I'm going to invite you to remember that you are a center in the divine mind. And that as you think, so it is. God bless you. So glad that you're here today. Welcome. Glad you're here. Thank you. Miss Carrie.